Right, well, uh, seeing as we all may be feeling a bit low about being back into lockdown situation, um, let me see if I can cheer you up with a little quiz. Um, because quizzes were a great feature of the first lockdown, so let's uh, try one now. I'm going to do some films for you, and I won't be able to hear if you can guess them right, so you'll just have to play along at home. So here's the first one. I'm the king of the world. I'll give you a moment to confer. Okay, did you get it? It was Titanic. Well done. You got that. There's three to guess from here, so maybe you've got one out of three. Okay, next one. Creme brulee. Give you a moment to think about that. Okay, yeah, if you want to know the answer to that, that was High School Musical number two. Third, last one. You can't handle the truth. And that was from the 90s classic, A Few Good Men. You can say in the chat if you got all three right. If you did, well done. Now, the context of the quote isn't important for the purposes of my talk today. But I'm using the quote, you can't handle the truth, because it's a way into where we find our main character of this book, Daniel, at this moment. If you've been with us, you'll remember, if you haven't, let me recap for you, that Daniel 1 to 6 is about Daniel and his friends' experiences of living as belonging to God's people, but embedded in a kingdom of Babylon that is very much against God. And we talked last week about how the picture there we used last week was that that's the front line. You see uh, people trying to live day by day, living for God in a world that's going mad, rather as we feel like we're doing at the moment too. The front line is there, all in Daniel 1 to 6. Daniel 7 onwards is totally different. It's uh, the situation room. It's like we zoom out from Daniel in one place, right out to get God's view in the heavens of what's going on spiritually when people live for him in a godless world. And we see in Daniel 7 onwards that history looks very different to God than it does to us. But it's knowing how God views what's going on, which is the reality that makes a difference to us and helps us live in the right ways now. That's what we saw in the first half of uh, Daniel 7. And so as we've looked through this book and we've wondered to ourselves, how did Daniel manage to deal with these highly stressful situations with calm and tact and bravery and the wisdom to know what to do? Well, it was the conviction that was implanted by these visions God gave him that showed him God's view of the world. So we're going to look into those visions too to see if we can share it, even though, as you might have heard the reading today, you might have thought, this is very weird. And Daniel's had a dream, we looked at it last week, about four animals, weird animals with many heads and tails and teeth and stuff. But they represent four kingdoms. And they're called, uh, they're represented as animals, these kingdoms, because we looked at last week, when people are given unlimited power, they behave like animals, they cause chaos in the world, they act selfishly. Alongside the vision of these kingdoms destroying and causing chaos in the world was the overwhelming vision of God who sits on the throne and judges every human kingdom. And then there was this sort of drama where God gives this only truly human person, we later discover is Jesus, 
God gives him authority to have a kingdom that goes on forever, unlike the animal kingdoms which will pass away. Well, we live in a world where power-hungry leaders make bad decisions. Animal kingdoms like Daniel saw. And if we're going to go on honouring God, like Daniel, we need our eyes lifted to what's always going on. We need to know that God will judge and punish evil kingdoms and leaders. And whatever's going on with the chaos of the, of the rule of people in the world, the key story that's always happening is that God is bringing people to joyfully come under the rule of his son, Jesus. We can see that's true, actually, right in our own time at the moment. It's hard to remember a year ago, isn't it, before any of us had heard of coronavirus. When Boris Johnson was in his heyday, travelling around the country campaigning his Brexit election. I don't take pleasure in saying this, much as I don't share his politics, but the sun has set, hasn't it, on Boris's glory days. And we are into chaos, chaos of a country with really ill-judged decisions all the time. That's what's going on in the chaos of the world. But can I tell you why that's been happening in our country and many countries all over the world, even in our own city, even in our own church, more and more people have been coming to trust Jesus. And last week we saw that if we know that that's true, we can be comforted and we can be bold. I have to pronounce bold very clearly because someone told me that they were listening to this last week with their child and their child said to them, but mummy, I don't want to be bold. Um, so bold means brave. But it's interesting, after I said that last week when we looked at the first bit of Daniel 7, I was began studying the second bit of Daniel 7 this week and at the start of the passage, verse 15, and at the end of the passage, Daniel is not comforted or bold. He, uh, both times his experience of seeing this vision is to be troubled and disturbed. His face turned pale. Daniel, this is where we get back to the start, couldn't handle the truth at first. We can see that the God's eye view is that the kingdom of the world are really worse than they seem and it's only God we can trust to do something to make a difference and so in the meantime life will be really hard. The first time you come face to face with that truth it's pretty alarming, it's pretty scary. Now I will say that later on in his life that we have recorded in Daniel 6, Daniel really applies and lives out those truths very carefully and bravely but when he first faced to face with him, it was alarming. He had to keep thinking it over. He had to keep letting it settle into his heart. And if you're tuning in today, you may find what we talk about today extremely disturbing. And that might be part of the point for you. Because this passage is saying uh, something that has become very apparent to us, that the things we rely on for normality the structures, the governments, the people we trust, they're actually selfish chaos-causing animalistic regimes that are easily toppled. And that's a hard truth. It may be, at this moment, like Daniel, you can't handle that truth. It's just troubling for you. 
But we're going to see over these next few chapters that as Daniel has these visions and learns these truths and is troubled by them, he also learns to pray them in and to live day to day in them. And that is what empowers him to do what God wants him to do. Well, here's the first thing we see in this passage. Animal kingdoms hate God's people. Remember we saw last week there are four pictures of animal kingdoms and that's a picture of the fact that people, the more power they get, the less human they become. The more powerful you are, the less likely you are to have qualities that we really admire of gentleness and love and compassion. Power corrupts. Now Daniel has worked hard to be a blessing in Babylon, to do good, to be gracious to kings who are borderline psychotic and has faced trouble for doing so. He's chosen to stand out. He's chosen to make a point about God. He's chosen to try and do good in Babylon. And that's the right thing to do, however evil the place is that you're working, living. But that doesn't change the truth from God's point of view that nations and systems that reject him and humans as they gather power for themselves, they, we are like animals, we cause chaos, we crush the poor, we're self-serving. And that's what this vision, this dream has showed Daniel. But as Daniel asks one of the people watching with him, who I guess are probably angels, to explain this to him, he becomes a little bit like a rubbernecker at a car crash. Have you ever had that? There's a car crash on the other side of the motorway everybody slows down on your side because we all want to have a look at the moment of disaster. Daniel becomes drawn to find out about the fourth beast in his dream and the fourth beast was the picture of a kingdom that was too terrifying for him to describe. It devoured everything in its path. It had many horns which is the picture in the Bible of huge power and uh, those horns argue and crush each other and that's what regimes in the world are often like. They're powerful but they're unstable as leaders grapple with each other for power and one ruler shown by a horn emerges who is full of arrogance so much we saw last week but Daniel becomes very disturbed and this explains why because as he asks for explanation of this dream he seems that this seemingly undefeatable arrogant leader is waging war on the holy ones. Now you may be used to thinking of holy people as particularly special Christians who do super things in history. It's just the word the Bible uses for anyone who belongs to God and knows him. So it's not someone who's particularly good or brilliant. It's normal Christians who belong to God, who've been separated out to belong to him. So it's just people like Daniel and his friends, people like normal Christians, like many of us watching, God views us all as holy or separate because we belong to him. Which sounds like a very comforting thought until this vision from God shows that this terrifying kingdom that can't be described and crushes everything in its past and boasts of its arrogance, this kingdom wages war on the holy ones. More than that, it says, it wages war on the holy ones and wins. And that's what it says in verse 21. Of course, Daniel and his friends are just a few insignificant, unimportant people. And as he draws back the curtain to see things from God's point of view, he sees the most powerful people in the world are going to wage war on people like you. And they're going to win. 
One of my Christian heroes is a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Christian pastor in 1930s Germany during the rise of Nazism. And when the Nazi regime was growing in power, was like the indescribable beast, crushing everything in its past. When the struggle for power in that country was happening, but one arrogant, evil, godless leader emerged, boasting of his great achievements, Hitler, most churches accepted that leader's demand for power over them. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer politically stood against Nazism. That became too dangerous, so he began to hide and train pastors to stand up against evil in, in secret. And when the extreme evil of the Holocaust was becoming clear, he actually got involved in a plot to try and kill Hitler, which is an interesting moral dilemma. And I'd love to tell you there's a romantic end to this story, but there isn't. He was caught, put in a concentration camp and executed just a few days before the end of the war. And he's not alone. The message of Daniel 7 is that most kingdoms are against God and behave like animals crushing their people. But occasionally worse than normal kingdoms arise led by arrogant, all-powerful, boasting leaders. And God does allow those kingdoms to have power for a time. And those kingdoms, they stretch arrogance to the limit. There have been terrible regimes in the world that try and rewrite the, character, uh, try and rewrite the calendar. That's what's described in the passage. They say, time began when we started. They try and redefine morality saying persecuting minorities and killing them is not to be brushed under the carpet, it's to be glorified. And those type of regimes will always wage war against people who belong to God. There is not a totalitarian regime in history that hasn't hated Christians because faithful Christians always say to the strongest leaders, there is a ruler higher than you, no matter what you say whether it's Pol Pot in Cambodia, the Cultural Revolution in China, even during the time of the Reformation in our own country, godly Christians said, we will respect our rulers and try and bless our country. We're not revolutionaries, but in the end, we will obey God as our only ruler. And when you do that, these type of regimes wage war on you, even though you're trying to bring blessing. I guess Daniel needed to see this because you may have discovered that all of his stories so far in this book have had happy endings. He gets promoted for doing the right thing. Not much time passes and he gets in trouble again, but then he gets promoted for doing the right thing again. But a more normal experience of Christians in the world is not, I seek to bring blessing and I am recognised and rewarded. When Daniel pulls back the curtain to see God's view of all of history. It's more like history cycles through systems that are generally bad, but then get worse and worse and worse. And the worse they get, the more they hate people who want to obey God. Daniel actually discovered that himself in experience in chapter 6. 
Now, I don't think we in the UK live in a system that is as bad as that at the moment, while it's definitely animalistic and imperfect. The reactions this week, I think, have been very interesting to this situation that we're in, the government disallowing public worship for, for public health reasons. Just a, a week ago, uh, someone calculated what is the value of church activities to the economy, and it's billions of pounds. Um, and then a week later, the government says, churches, you can't meet for worship. And some Christians that I follow on social media are saying, oh, but you said we were valuable, we contribute so much, we do so much good for the community, you should want to honour our wish to meet for, for worship. But the truth is, we don't matter to the government. And that is how it has always been. Animalistic kingdoms do not love God's people. Now, just to be clear, I am not claiming persecution at all. We don't live in one of these type of kingdoms, unlike many Christians in the world. But the whole reaction brought to the fore that we kind of expect governments to think we're really great or really important. And that's not what God sees in history. There's a bit of argument about whether the picture in Daniel 7 is of the Greek Empire, which was still to come after him, or the Roman Empire that was still to come. Whichever it is, what Daniel sees is true in history. The systems people make are animal-like, and they get worse and worse as they accrue power. And our job is not to retreat in fear, say, oh, we're too scared, we'll hide away. It's not what Daniel did. Neither is our job to rebel and bring down terrible regimes. Our job is to do what brings good even to the worst people. But as things get worse, we don't expect to be thanked or honoured. There's a verse in the uh, New Testament that says this, could be a good verse for some of us at this time, let us not grow weary in doing good. Why would we grow weary in doing good? Because we still think if you do good as a Christian, people should really respect you and love you and affirm you. But God's view of history says these powerful kingdoms wage war. They don't like people who say there's a higher God than you. And we live with that as our expectation. It all sounds a bit uh, glum, doesn't it? You, we can begin to see why Daniel was troubled and alarmed by it all. But there is better news in this passage. Here's the second thing we see. The true human invites you to rule with him. I'm putting it out there that I have a problem with my bathroom. The seal keeps going from around the bath and so water keeps running through the ceiling downstairs in the house. And I keep trying to fix it and it fixes for a little while but basically failing so the problem always comes back. Now I want to say to you that there in my bathroom, sealant stuck to my fingers, responding by shouting up my family, all the theology you need for today is right there in that experience. Because the Bible says that people, unlike everything else in God's creation, are made to rule. We are made to take what God has made and improve it, make things from it, fix it. So part of being made in God's image is that uh, I want to make things better and keep my house in order and fix the leaking bath. 
But the Bible also says the world is broken and fallen and so our attempts to rule over God's creation never fully succeed. Everything's corrupted, nothing's ever simple, problems are never fully solved. Solutions create new problems. Sealant on my fingers. And the Bible also tells us that we are bad. So our response to a fallen world is to exercise rule poorly, grumpily. So me fixing my bath, it shows us the Bible's theology that we're made to rule, that it's hard to rule because the world is fallen, and we rule badly because we're bad. That's seen most extreme in these rulers that behave like animals. Anyone who's worked in government will tell you, you try and fix one problem, but you create other problems and then everybody gets annoyed with each other. So you see, there's a wrong desire in me to dictate everything, that's taking God's place. But there's a right desire implanted by God, by every human being, to, to do something, to achieve something, to conquer nature. It's a frustrating desire because the bath is never fixed. Or if you work in a hospital, more sick people keep coming. Or I'm angry and I'm jealous and annoyed, so I don't rule well. Now, did you notice, as we had this passage read to us, three times it says that these evil kingdoms, God will, in the end, judge and get rid of them. And for every evil kingdom that's existed so far in history, that's true. God's plan to bring people to Jesus still goes on, They're, but they are gone, the kingdoms. No matter how much they hated the church, they didn't stop it. But it also, this passage says three times, that the kingdom will then be handed over to the people of God. That is, if you trust in Jesus, your destiny is to rule. Last week we saw the picture that the more power we get, uh, the more we tend to behave like animals. We are most human when we're generous and kind and care about those who are least. But God uh, takes power away from the kingdoms like that. And last week we saw, gives this everlasting kingdom to the Son of Man, the true human being, the one person who is perfectly human, who we find out later in the Bible is Jesus. And he can be trusted with power because he is utterly self-giving. He doesn't seek like an animal to get everything for himself. He's the one you want in charge. Jesus will rule forever. But this bit of Daniel's dream tells us people who trust in Jesus will rule with him forever. When all the evil kingdoms of the world are thrown down, the rule won't just be given to Jesus, it will be given to Jesus and his people. I think that means two things. First is this, and it's a hope for Christians. God tells us that when the creation we're in now, that is ruled by people who love themselves, when that creation passes away, a new creation will come. And unlike this one, it will not be fallen and broken we will be able to do meaningful work. Our useful uh, work in that world will not be frustrated. We will be able to do it well. I don't know if there will be baths or if they'll need fixing, but if they will, neither fallenness of the world or sin of my own will stop me doing it. And that is a great promise for the future because as we're battered about by these 
animalistic kingdoms that wage war on us, we feel powerless often, don't we, to make change. So much of what we do makes no difference at all. I mean, I get tired of these um, school posters that say, go and make a difference in the world. But how many people actually make a difference in the world in a tangible way? And can I say that's even true for Daniel? Someone pointed out in our Connect group the other week when we were talking about this, that in the book we get four scenes from Daniel's 70 years in Babylon, but the vast majority of his life is spent doing civil service work that we never hear about. And he finds out in the next dream, in chapter 8, all that work he's been doing to build the kingdom of Babylon isn't going to last. It's going to be zeroed by a new ruler. But there is a new creation coming when God rids the world of evil kingdoms, when creation is unbroken and we are made perfect, we will be able to rule reflecting God in the way that we should do. So you might be under attack for being a Christian or you might just be struggling with the fallenness of the world at the moment. I think lots of us are. And someone might say to you, well, you've got the hope of heaven and all you can think about is singing and clouds or maybe even just resting. How is that going to keep you happy for eternity? No, the promise of the new creation is being able to rule in the way we are designed to do without the brokenness of the world and my own sinful heart messing that up. We're going to do productive, good, God-glorifying stuff there when the kingdoms of the world pass away. A friend of mine was telling me recently that his father died after a very long, very disabling illness. And his hope is that now his dad with Jesus is more fully human than he's ever been in the kingdom of God's fully human son, He's not just sitting there in that kingdom, he is ruling there, his dad. There's no debilitation, just the joy of reflecting God through useful, meaningful things to do. And so that's the hope when God judges the evil kingdoms, we will rule in the new creation alongside Jesus, the true human. But there's more hope than that. It's not just for the future, because the removal of kingdoms that hate God that isn't just one event that will happen at the end of time. So I guess Daniel sees the future ahead of him, but, but we are in that future to Daniel. He's sort of back there to us. And some of what Daniel then describes is actually happening now. Jesus is becoming ruler of this eternal kingdom as people trust in him. And that means as his spirit dwells in us, as we live in this world, but in Jesus' kingdom, we are beginning to rule as we should. Here is an amazing truth for you, especially if you are cast on about the, you know, the terrible situation we're in and not being able to make any difference to it and waking up every morning and thinking, what is the point? Here is the truth now, every moment of every day can be lived for Jesus. God values and loves and says that makes a difference what you're doing. The frustration of a fallen world fixing the bath turns into a holy spirit-filled person bringing blessing to his family. 
very imperfectly, but in a way that can honour God and bring real blessing to people around him in a way that God notices and cares about. And even if you're stuck at home right now, feeling like you can't do anything, God says by praying for people, you are involved in bringing Jesus' kingdom and living in his kingdom now. Listen, at this moment, you're going to be battered by the rulers of this world. That includes all levels. It includes the pastor trying to stand up to Nazism. It includes the Christian woman attacked by Islamic extremists. It includes the person whose boss makes their life a misery. It includes all of us living under a government response to a pandemic that's crushing mental health and closes off the things we love. It includes continuing to fail to fix the bath. We're all battered by the systems created by powerful people. And I want to say, don't pressure yourself to make a difference. You know, one day the kingdom will be handed to you. You'll rule in the way that you were meant to. The way the world is crushing your humanity will be fully, satisfyingly, joyfully, sinfully, sinlessly, you'll be expressing your true humanity. And also, though, while you can't change the way the world is by yourself, you can look and be encouraged by the shadows of that new creation now. You're already beginning to rule in the way God wants because every moment lived with the Holy Spirit, even as you're battered, allows you to bring the eternal rule of Jesus' kingdom into here and now. You may not be able to change the world we live in dramatically, but you can bring the rule of Jesus to every situation. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he failed to get rid of Hitler. I often think about him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because I actually doubt that Hitler, that arrogant evil horn that grew out of the terrifying destructive beast of Nazism, he probably didn't even ever know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. And Bonhoeffer's genius, I mean, I love his writing, but his genius was snuffed out a few days before he could have been saved. But now, Bonhoeffer rules with Jesus. He's made perfect alongside the perfect human being he loved and served and gave his life for. And Nazism, Hitler, it's crushed, it's gone. And what's more Bonhoeffer, while alive, by resisting, he just brought a little bit of the amazing rule of the Son of Man into this world now. As we have Remembrance Sunday, we honour people, don't we, who lived like that, who still do, who give themselves up for the sake of others. It's a little glimpse of the kingdom led by the one true human. So listen, let the Holy Spirit, the rule of Jesus, infuse every moment. God's plan is to give rule to you even now, even as it's imperfect and unclear and you're battered and bruised and messed up and your work feels futile, just remember the generous, lovely, perfect human Jesus will one day invite you to come and rule with him. And all the grapple for control of our lives against a broken world, against sin, will be gone. Third thing we see, very briefly, is that God is the only one who is really in charge. 
Whoever the king is, represented by this third horn, is quite the piece of work. It's worth reading um, to uh, be reminded what he's like. Have a look at verse 24. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He, that's the new king, will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. He publicly speaks out against God. He wears out, wears down and uh, crushes the people who belong to God. He thinks he can change the calendar and rewrite morality. And these things are given to him for due for what translates to three and a half days. I think that probably just means it's for a limited time set by God. In the Bible, seven often represents the perfect length of time. So three and a half is like an extremely imperfect length of time. But in the end, verse 26 says, the court sits, that kingdom is judged. The kingdoms are given to God's people and the ones given to God's people, they're the kingdom that lasts forever. It's the big lesson of this that Daniel needs to take in and so do we. There are incredibly powerful forces in the world ranged against God's people. Systems with the power to to rewrite history, to dictate to us that morality has changed. And God does let them go on for a limited amount of time, but it is God letting them. We saw in the last chapter, it is easy for God just to flick away these huge, powerful kingdom. He rules. That's the message to Daniel. Don't let that uh, temporary evil ruler dictate how you live when you know there's another ruler above that and how to obey him. But I think we're beginning to see why Daniel's alarmed. If you look at how the world is and accept that God's rules and he's allowing it to go on like this, that is an extremely alarming and hard to understand prospect. And it means that some hard and difficult things are going to happen because God does allow wicked kingdoms to have their day. So last week I said, be comforted and be bold. Here's two ways to finish now. First one, be rightly alarmed, troubled. We're in a deeply unsettling time, aren't we? Yes, because of the virus, but more because what really the virus has exposed, the chaotic, self-serving nature of most people who, in the world, who have power in the world who have let the cost of all of this fall on us and people much worse off than many of us. That should be alarming. It should be unsettling. It should be sad and difficult. Really up to this time, many of us were protected from the trauma that most of the world lives in most of the time, feeling that our lives are pretty stable coming face to face with God's view that this is the way it is. Powerful people making bad decisions most of the time is alarming. And we don't get alarmed because we self-medicate with TV or food or pleasure most of the time. Life lets us ignore God's view that life is alarming and unsettling. 
that unless we get that what's unfolding in the world is against God and wrong, we are never going to be the people like Daniel who stand up for what's right. You know, some of us could do with being a bit more alarmed. And remember, Daniel in this book does not put his hope in getting better leaders or of him making a huge difference through a revolution or rebellion. He's enabled to calmly get on with his job of being a blessing to others in his small corner in this huge alarming world. So we're right to be troubled by the results of elections, by police brutality, by poverty on our streets. We're right to think we'll never change that system. But we are also right today, spirit-filled believers, to get on with what we can do calmly, firmly, speaking truth to power right where we are. And we're not going to do that if we don't get alarmed by how bad it all is. You know, I, I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a very wealthy, well-brought-up academic. He could have closed his eyes to what was going on around him like so many other people, and he probably would have lived to a grand old age teaching in some university. But we only do what we can in our small corner, which may not change the regime, but is the right thing to do if the evil of the world and, and how God sees it really unsettles us, troubles us. So we should be rightly, be rightly alarmed. Here's the second thing it says, Daniel saw, it says he kept the matter in his heart. If you're wondering what makes us Daniel-like now, what makes you the person who diligently works and brings honour to God? What makes you the person who knows when to speak up to someone in power and when to keep silent? What makes you the person who's brave enough to take on this person who's much more powerful than you? Well, you'll never be that person if you hear talks like this, read this bit of the Bible and then you have your lunch, tune out, forget, have an afternoon nap, watch a bit of Netflix and go to bed. That's saying, isn't it, I can't handle the truth. But unless you handle the truth that the world is alarming, that God is in control of it, that a better future is coming that we're promised, unless you learn to handle that truth, unless you really keep it in your heart and make it part of yourself, you're never going to be the Daniel-like person. You know, uh, Daniel has a series of these disturbing, alarming visions. We're going to look at another one he had next week and he feels even sicker at the end of it than this one. And then it's interesting, after his wake up to this uh, troubling nature of the world, chapter 9 records his earnest, deep desire to pray. And that, I wonder, whether it's where we begin if we are alarmed and we take these truths into our heart. We bring all of it to God and find in him the strength to be the Daniel-like character in the world.